said, welcome back. Said, oh my God, it's another. We're still talking about Mission Impossible somehow. Why not? Deadly. <laughs> class. It, it is class. It yeah. is class. We, and if they put all that effort into those nice stunts, yes. people should go see it, talk about it. Yep. And yeah, they have to be stunted out of their eyeballs. Oh my. Yeah. Uh, well, we're here for bonus. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, bonus number two for Mission Impossible Fallout. If you go back to episode 28, you will hear a review of the movie. If you go back to the f- most recent bonus feature, you will hear our lovely own, who still isn't here. We miss you terribly. I he's see- off. Uh, I think he has the second date with Cavill after their first one at the cinema. Oh, the went first so one well. went really well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, bonus feature number I'd one. I'd say they're going for a picnic or something like that. That's romantic. I'd say, he, I'd say he's the type of picnics. He does seem like... Yeah. But, like, he'd... Picnicking like a blimp or something because he's yeah. got money. Yeah, but he's got like probably bottle like Bollinger and caviar and like one of those nice wicker baskets. You know, not like me yeah. like throwing shit into my backpack and stuff like that, bringing it for a picnic. And that's why we didn't go on a second day. Paul. That's true. Uh, so he spoke to the entire cast and director, except for Tom Cruise, because nope. Um, for <laughs> Mission Impossible Follow in the most recent bonus uh, episode, but this one. I managed to uh, to speak to Wade Eastwood. Tell who, me about him, Rory. Well, he's not related to Clint or no. Scott. He, uh, but he's equally as heroic in his own way. He, he's he's important in his own way. He is a stunt coordinator and has been for many of Tom Cruise's most recent movies. And I imagine in the entire stunting world, being Tom Cruise's stunt coordinator must be the hardest job because no one else really wants to do the stuff that Tom does. Mm. Um and Wade goes into fantastic detail about all of the Mission Impossible movies to date um, except for two because I didn't want to talk about it um, and tells us what was required for all of those well some of the bigger set pieces Mm. uh, from each of them uh, and it's it's more than like as much as you think. Oh yeah, that must that must take a lot of work. It's even more than that. And Tom really really hurts himself, as is proof from uh, Fallout when he actually broke his leg doing one of the stunts. Um, and we actually spoke to Wade uh, over the phone, and he was on the set of the new currently untitled Men in Black oh, cool. spin-off reboot that has uh, Chris Hemsworth, Chris Hemsworth and Thompson, Thompson, Thompson and Emma Thompson, Thompson. Liam Neeson. Who I'm assuming is the bad so guy. That's F. Gary Gray doing that, is he? Yes, yeah. who did uh, Fast 8. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and he, uh, so he does the biggest stunts. He also did the stunts for Spectre, so he's done Bond and Mr. Possible now. He, he can stunt the hell he, out of stuff. He is a stunter. Um, and so, yeah, but that, this is our lovely, long conversation with uh, Wade, uh, his opinions of Tom, and what was required for some of the most incredible stunts in cinema history. So if you don't mind, I'm going to, uh, obviously with the upcoming release of Mission Impossible Fallout, I would love to focus on uh, the history of stunts within the Mission Impossible movies. Um, now I know yourself, you've, uh, you're the stunt coordinator on Fallout and on Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, but uh, I'm actually going to start off by going all the way back to the first Mission Impossible, um, and I know you weren't obviously the stunt, the stunt coordinator on that movie, but just... For your professional input on uh, how difficult you think the stunts might have been to pull off um, and how much work obviously must have gone into them. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think, you know, with all films, audiences have become more aware and more critical and they need more visual stimulation due to the, the gaming world and just the sort of Marvel universe and everything. So with the sort of real action movies like Missions and Bonds and Bonds, uh, we really had to challenge challenge ourselves as sort of action directors, technical directors, stunt coordinators, to create 
you know, bigger action sequences, more visuals, you know, more stimulating visuals, etc. So, you know, the, the first mission in its time, uh, I, I'm sure, was quite complex and, you know, and hectic from an action point of view. But if you look back at it now, the action in Mission 1 is probably the first 10 pages of Mission 6. <laughs> yeah. You know? I... Uh... Um, I recently went back and rewatched um, all previous five in the space of a week, and you do see the exponential uh, growth in, the, in in terms of the scale of every movie. Um, and even with the first one, everyone remembers the um, the Langley breaking scene where Tom has to stay as flat as yeah, possible. Yeah, of course. But, but, uh, but apparently, the one that was uh, even more difficult to film was his escape from the restaurant where he had to run from a massive fish tank exploding overhead. Yes, the fish tank, exactly. Uh, exactly. I mean, you know, today, today the audiences would be, well, they would want sharks coming out of the fish tank and chasing them down the street and these massive visuals, you know, almost over the top. But with missions, missions have always stuck to story and character rather than just creating action for action's sake. And I think that's the big difference between Mission and a lot of the other real action movies that are out there is it's very much story and character-driven action. It's not action for action's sake. We do big sequences, but there's always a there's a goal. You know, Ethan Ethan has to go somewhere and, and get somewhere and be, save someone or be somewhere. It's, it's for a reason. We're not just wheeling a motorbike for the sake of wheeling it or doing a fight for the sake of fighting it. It's it's he, Ethan's character doesn't want to fight. He doesn't want to have to crash. He he just doesn't have a choice. He has to make these sort of last minute decision he he doesn't want to fail so he has to he has to do it he just doesn't always have a perfect plan if you know what I mean it's not always a, a perfect perfectly planned and executed um, mission or stunt yeah he, he obviously is one of the most uh, highly trained individuals in uh, in this you know the movie going universe um, <clears throat> and he does find himself in situations where he is forced to use every one of his skills as best as he can um, and one of my favourite stunts in the entire series and one that I still like kind of mentally uh, can't figure out how it was done and maybe you could shed some light on this was in Mission Impossible 3 the bridge scene when he is running away from the drone strike and he's right beside an exploding jeep that then sends him hurling sideways and it does it does look like it's still Tom in that scene could you explain how they managed to pull that off it is Tom it's all Tom so Tom's running forward He's on what's called the dead man um, cable um, and then a ratchet sideways. So basically, you run into a, a cable that stops you dead attached to the back of you. And as soon as it stops you, it's timed into a ratchet, which is a, hyd- a dr- hydraulic ram that fires, pulls another cable with a hot from a harness attached to your body and, and fires you sideways so that you get the perfect stop and sideways rather than a lazy arc. Um, and I've done a bunch of those as a stunt man, and I tell you they they sort of in, in a, as a, <laughs> as far as stunts go for stunt men, they're sort of one of the ground poundy hard ones. You know where you, where you say action and you got to you got to run past the mark you know you're going to hit and it's going to stop you violently hard, but you've got to in your head run past it. Otherwise, you'll always look like you're running to a stop mark if you know what I mean, and you'll never hit your you'll never hit hard enough, and therefore the the sideways will never be violent enough so you've got to you, you, you've just got to go for it you've got to run and you know it's going to you know pull your hips backwards and and suck the wind out of you and then the ratchet hits you and sucks the rest out of you and 
Um, and then you've got to make sure you, you, you land safe enough against the car without breaking a, you know, an arm or just, you know, hurting yourself. So it's, it's a good, hard ground-pounding stuntman stunt. So for the actor, an actor like Tom Cruise to do it, you've, I mean, you've got to give him kudos. <laughs> no, I'm not going to lie, that, that, that sounds truly unpleasant. <laughs> I... Uh... Yeah, it it does just go to, go to show how, uh, how how incredible Tom is when it comes to getting involved in as many stunts as he possibly can, um, and even when it came to um, Ghost Protocol, <clears throat> and obviously he he wanted to climb the world's tallest building, um, which from one aspect probably was easy enough to uh, to sort out. Um, you know, uh, from from the stunt coordinator, coordinator's point of view, where there's kind of essentially have to tie into the building. But is there is there any point now? Because you've worked with Tom previously on Edge of Tomorrow, and the Mummy, and the Jack Reacher sequel, um, and obviously the two most recent uh, Mission Impossible movies. Is there any stunt at all where you have personally tried to say to him, Tom, maybe don't do this one. <laughs> this is the one not to do. You know. <sighs> Not, not really, because Tom is not. He, he doesn't do the stunts to to gain recognition. He doesn't do them for from an ego point of view. He does them if they fit the story. So if it fits his character as Ethan, and it truly fits the character, then you know he goes for it. And uh, we'll look at. We're always looking at. Well, is it necessary for Ethan to do this before it's necessary for Tom to do it? And if we true, truly believe it, it, it enhances the story and enhances the character and enhances the storytelling, then we push ahead of how, how we do it. And then once I figure out how to do the stunt, I assess the risk related to that, stunt, to that stunt. And if the risk is very high, then I'll go to Tom with it and say, listen, you know, the risk is, you run the risk of injuring yourself in this. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's a stuntman doing it or Tom Cruise doing it. You know, I'm always going to assess risk. If it's too dangerous, we wouldn't do the stunt, period. Um, but there's nothing you really can't do these days. I can always make something safe enough to perform. Um, whether again, whether it's Tom Cruise or, or, or a stuntman, it's always the smaller ones that hurt, like the sideways one into the car, or the oh my god, the forty ratchets I did with him on Edge tomorrow, and you know, cabling him across the room, and you know, he, he, at any stage of that, like the building jump in Mission, Mission Six is a perfect example. At any stage of any of the I don't know, 200 ratchets and things I've done with Tom Cruise and descender drops and things. He could have twist, put his foot out and broken an ankle, crushed a foot, broken a wrist, a finger, a cheekbone, a nose, at any stage of that, because we haven't got helmets on them when they're rolling across the ground because you're looking at their face. We, there's only so much you can, there's only so safe you can make a stunt. At the end of the day, it's down to the performer or in his case, the cast member, the actor, to, to make sure that they're not sticking a hand out when they shouldn't and breaking a wrist or bending a finger back and breaking it or spraining something that puts you out of action, an ankle. So it's, it's the, the big stunts are generally, even though they're visually, visually a much more of a spectacle, they always slightly safer. Like on the side of a building, you know, you've got safety cables and this and that. It's, it's when you're doing the real impact Stunts like hitting the ground, running across the building, jump. It's sort of slightly smaller in visual spectacle and tabloid spectacle, if you like. But those are the ones that really take it out of you. And if it wasn't for the way Tom trains um, physically with his training camp and with us, 
on the fights and on movement. If he didn't train as hard as he trained, he would never be able to do the stunts that he does. And that's nothing to do with his age either. I mean, I could take 20, my 25 year old stunt guys and girls and they would not be able to do some of the stuff if they didn't keep up their training method. So he's very strict on his training in order to keep his body flexible so he can absorb a majority of the impacts that would, would hurt a lot of people that, that he can brush off as a bruise or a scratch. But the one thing I can't do is, is completely negate the risk factor of breaking a wrist or an ankle or something because it, I'm not puppeteering him with a hundred lines on him. You know what I mean? So yeah. we've always got that. There's always that element of danger. Um, and the one thing you, that people have to remember when, when watching a Tom Cruise film is if you broke it down into stunts and the action sequences, when a stuntman does those stunts, all he has to concentrate on is spotting his landing, looking in the right place, doing the, you know, the performance to set up the stunt. When Tom does it, he has to do all of the same that I just mentioned, but he also has to do it as Ethan. So he has to do it in character. So, for example, when he's flying the helicopter in the sequences in Mission 6, which is 100% Tom flying, he's, he's going to watch a million gauges going, you know, he's, all his gauges, his rotor over speeds and his, his uh, you know, his rotor RPM and his, uh, you know, low G element feeling and all the other things that go on flying in the mountains in the extreme manner which he flew, he has to watch those peripherally whilst acting as Ethan. If, if it was me flying the helicopter and doing that stuff, well, my face would just be watching the instruments and outside, and I wouldn't be giving any performance except that of a worried pilot doing complex maneuvers, which wouldn't be very exciting to an audience. So, you know, it takes a certain skill for him to, to master these stunts, which we rehearse endlessly with him, but to master these stunts and then master them in character. It's a whole different ball game to do that, and that's the, where the respect factor for me, even though, I mean, I, he's, a, he's a good mate of mine and I've worked with him for years, we've become good friends. I, it, that's where my respect factor really goes up because he takes it to another level when he does that. So you, you mentioned the, um, the stunt in Mission Impossible Fallout that went, went a bit wrong and obviously uh, everyone in the world knows about it now, but I'm curious, what was your initial gut reaction when you heard he had essentially smashed his foot when he uh, jumped from one building to the next uh, for for that stuff. Yeah, you know, I was I was I was annoyed because it was like, it was one of those it was it was the only thing that could have happened. So when because he had a, obviously a line on that stopped him in the building, it took him within like a foot. It looks you know it's just an impact stop for his chest, his main part of his body because he runs at full speed. It's all self propelled by himself. What we couldn't stop is arms and legs coming out in front of him and getting locked out and causing break. So you know every time before he went, the only thing we always see annoying voice in his ear. Um, even when he's getting into character, is just, you know, remember, don't lock out an arm or a leg, you know. And we can say he did it a bunch of times before. He's all fine. He's like, yeah, got it, got it. And the first thing that happened is once he made it past camera with that injury, which was incredible for him to have done because I broke the same bone on the same movie uh, earlier on. I crushed mine about three months before his. Um, not work-related. It was just motocross, my own spare time. Um, and we, we said it to him, and as soon as he got past camera, he, he was like, he actually got the phone to me because I wasn't on that location. And he said to me, oh, he goes, I'm so sorry. And I go, what? And I go, why are you sorry? What happened? He goes, ah, I just tried too hard. You know, I just, he just, he gives a hundred percent. And 
he just wanted the perfect position in the air with his legs and his body. He wanted the audience to believe that he was giving everything to make that gap as Ethan Hunt. And when you look at the, the, the image that's now, <clears throat> is the actual break image, the one we're using in the movie, in the trailer. When you look at that, and you look at his body position and profile, he has the perfect leg extension, the perfect body position. I mean, he, you can see he, he's making that gap for real. And that is the image he wanted, and he got it. But he got it at the detriment of just holding that position, just that nanosecond too long, and, and the leg not retracting enough, you know what I mean, without, without being locked out. So again, that, that, that could easily have happened to one of our, to my stunt man who set up, you know, he set it up and did 35, 40 takes in it. But it, you know, but it didn't because he wasn't giving performance. And, and I think that's the big difference if the, you know, cause the stunt double did, you know, 34, 35 lineup shots when we were rehearsing it, obviously before we start shooting it, just to make sure everything's working correctly. Um, but he didn't give the performance. I've had Thomas Dunn double, and he acted Ethan Hunt if he could, which he couldn't because he's not Tom Cruise. Then maybe he would have overstretched and done the same thing. You know, it's a very different uh, scenario. And then you came on board in 2015 for Mission Impossible Rogue Nations. That's when the movie was released. You were obviously working on it a long time before that. And everyone's yeah. eyes were on that fantastic takeoff sequence at the start of the movie, which is a fantastic sequence. Obviously, it's a. Uh, it's it's on the poster. It was in the it was in the trailer. It was a huge selling point. But I have to say, my favorite part of Rogue Nation was the bike chase. Um, and there's a scene in particular where yeah, where where Tom takes a corner, and you can actually see his knee hitting the ground because uh, he's so close to uh, to having the bike spin out. Was that uh, th- when you're doing scenes like this? Do you get excited? I, do you think they're fun to do, or do you uh, are you nervous that something like one of an infinite amount of things could go wrong because um, there's so much to uh, to an action scene like that yeah you know preparation is everything to me I, I, I prep I prep the hell out of the shows I do um, I'm always a stickler for, for prep you know and I'll, I'll never you know it's the shoot producer's job everyone's job to make sure that you've got the prep you need to make the film safe but you know you, they also don't want you to spend hours and days and months doing something that hopefully could be done in, in less because it's the budget that you have to sh- you know sh- shoot towards a budget and this, you know ultimately we all do but I really fight for long prep time and on mission five on rogue mission I insisted on having a certain amount of track days with Tom uh, to teach him drifting I mean he's a great driver but I had to teach him drifting um, which is a, a different style of driving and on the motorbikes again he could ride bikes and he could ride them fast but I want him to ride them fast and consistently fast in a sort of MotoGP style. In order to do that, I had to bring world superbike riders and friends of mine from, from world superbikes and MotoGP to actually work with him very closely. Um, and that's what we did. And we got Tom, you know, when he first came on, yes, he was fast. We had to basically take him to basic, back to basics. The first day I didn't let him out the garage. He sat in the bike and he had to go through foot position, hand position, body position, even start of the bike. And we went literally back to basics. But by doing that, his riding level and his, his abilities skyrocketed. I mean, on the drifting, I would take him out every day and we'd go and do our drift training and Tom 
clicked very quickly at that and he got amazingly consistent and safe where I could put camera positions on the ground and he could drift within inches of it every single take like every take perfectly I would upset the balance of the car I would change the weights I would I'd change the suspension without telling him so that it became a feel thing and not a such a technical what a turn right here and touch the brake this will happen I would constantly change things to, to make him feel through the seat of his pants how the car is changing in case the conditions change on the day so he, he really mastered drifting he, he impressed me beyond on that but on the bikes you know there's a lot more that can go wrong you have two points of contact on the ground and you know I would groom those roads we would sweep them make sure the gravel wasn't on it I would do runs in front of him in the M3 and check that there was even though we had lockups that no goat was coming out of somewhere it shouldn't or a chicken or a donkey or a person or so we, we, we sort of made the road as safe as we could but there was still a good you know thousand foot drop at some sense but not a runoff and we still have Tom Cruise even though he's fully trained now by the time we got out there after months of training uh, on the track where he was flying on racetracks but he's in full leathers and he's knee down and we, you know, we're doing racing against each other and we're all out there and, and really pushing it anything go wrong on a road you know there could have been an, uh, an old diesel spill that surfaced through the heat or something and uh, something could have happened he could have just pushed a little bit too hard um, on the corner that doesn't have runoff and you know he's off a cliff so you've always got that little bit of apprehension but I was never really nervous on that because the amount of work he put in and the amount of training he did in preparation and the results that we obtained during training was so high at such a high level that I wasn't really worried. I mean, we had him in the wet. It started raining at Bedford Autodrome. And we decided to go and put wets on and do some wet laps with him. And I was behind him in the car filming it. And he accelerated the corner and he actually got the bike sideways drifting out of the corner, which a lot of the superbike and GP riders will always do every lap. But he isn't just a, a, a superbike rider. He's, a, he's an actor producer. You know, he's got to do everything as, as well as ride a bike. So he got to such a high level so quickly that it was that day for me that uh, you know we could it was just uh, he just became one with the bike so no, he, he did an outstanding job and now we're all caught up to uh, Mission Impossible Fallout which is coming uh, to cinemas this July um, the trailer has a crazy amount of uh, insane looking action sequences in there but um well, we, we, we can see like huge helicopter chases and the halo sequence and uh, a bike chase around I think the Arc de Triomphe in Paris um, but as you said yourself like he could just be jumping across what looks like a relatively simple stunt and hurt himself quite badly um, what was the most difficult or maybe even the most the, the biggest stunt to coordinate in Mission Impossible Follow um, you know, there was so many stunts in Fallout. It was non-stop. I mean, it was really non-stop. Uh, I think, you know, my, I mean, there were so many sequences from climbing sequences, cars, bikes, boats, trucks, uh, halo, helicopters. Um, the, the falling under the helicopter was a tricky one. It was a complex rig to do because we only had the confines of the helicopter. I mean... 99.999% of the movies made today would have put that helicopter outside on a stage hanging from a crane on a green screen with wind machines and, and dropped the actor off it but of course in Mission Star we we flew a real hot helicopter in freezing cold conditions in the southern Alps of New Zealand and and let go of Tom Cruise down a real sling load under a real helicopter flying at real speed and 
you know, and, and caught them at the bottom. So we, we had a lot of uh, logistical challenges and being able to fit rigs and things into a little helicopter whilst it's flying and stay within the weight and balance and CPFG and all the other things you got to do to fitting in with the code, you know, the code of, of the helicopter world and flying world. So there were a lot of challenges with that. Um, again, I wasn't worried about Tom and the chopper because he trained so much and he trained with a lot of very high skilled instructors that, that took him to a very high level in a very short space of time. And he only managed to do it because he's Tom and he focused, uh, you know, and gave so much of his attention and detail to it. So the helicopter challenge, the sequence was challenging to come up with something that wasn't boring when you're in helicopters. It wasn't only interesting to a helicopter pilot that was that would make it interesting and there was peril and you know and, and, a, and a lot of storytelling in it and it wasn't just about machines flying around and that was the challenging part from that not the uh, you know the stunt itself because again Tom trained and he worked hard at it and he was ready by the time he got there he was more than ready um, the halo sequence was again it was more exhausting than anything else because with all our shooting schedule that we had with you know, we had we had we built the largest outdoor wind tunnel in the world up at Leeds in Studios, and um, I would fly in it myself with my team and the skydiving team, and we'd work out the sequence and pre-visit and action visit with cameras, and you know, we'd build a sequence that was approved, and once it was approved, we'd have to grab Tom in between takes. So if the lighting was moving from one side of the stage to the other, it was like, all right, guys, we have half an hour lighting setup. Tom would shoot up in his skydiving gear, and like, I'd get the text. It's like wind tunnel five minutes and I'd scream at the guys fire up and we had a team on standby 24-7 and we'd run down the tunnel and jump in and we'd show them you know practice those moves of the sequence and and without that we could never have achieved the, the sequence we did in Abu Dhabi at the end of the film so that gave us all the moves that we then had to transfer to 25, 26,000 feet um, and do it for real but at least we had the, the sort of timing of the sequence worked out so for me to pinpoint what was tough about the movie what was challenging all of it um, it was there was there was nothing that was small there was everything I mean the, the rig in Norway on this mountainside that we had with them climbing I mean the, the, the rock was in the middle of nowhere the only way we could get in and out was by helicopter and we had to lift things in and we had we had hours and like an hour to put something in and take it out because the snow was coming and the day we finished, the weather was the mountain was closed from the from the evening. It was done, and it's absolutely under feet of snow. So everything was against us all the time. I mean, we had some landings. We'd come in to land with my team, and the wind was so strong that the helicopter would just get wind shear and blown off the side of the mountain. I mean, we would drop down into the valley and recover, and have to go and land somewhere else. I mean, we we had everything against us. We had the gods against us. We had everything against us. But that's in true mission fashion. Rogue Nation was no different. We you know, the script is developed very organically with uh, Chris McCrory, Tom, and myself, you know, we, when it comes to the action. And we, we push, all three of us push in our own departments for action, narrative, story, you know, we, we push for it a lot. So the organic process is not ideal because it doesn't always give the information until it's too late and therefore you haven't always got the time to shoot it the way you want it. But once it's in our head, we know we're going to shoot it. So we've just got to work out how. Um, and that's the challenging part, is the time factor for the scale that we want. 
Well, it, it looks like you pulled it off for, uh, for Mission Impossible Follow, even with the gods against you. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Uh, and best of luck with the Men in Black spin-off. Tell Chris and Tessa we said hello. Oh, well, do. Well, do. Thank you very much. So that was our chat with the lovely Wade Eastwood. Lots of insight there. I feel like I want to jump off a building. But only if he's around to make sure that... Yeah, uh, that was the point I missed out. So that's why my career as a stunt performer probably won't last. It'd be like that bit in Hot Rod. Yeah, you need need a Wade. Or like uh, the other guys, you know, aim for the bushes. Again, they didn't have the Wade. Yeah. And if you don't have the Wade, you probably hurt yourself. He didn't wade in on that one. Okay. Yeah. I'm not playing this game with you because that's a terrible pun <laughs> I won't what else can I do I won't stand by I won't allow it uh, so that was Wade for our second b- b- bonus feature bonus. for Mission Impossible Fallout don't forget to go back and check out the first one with the cast and crew don't forget to go back and check out episode 28 with a review of Fallout and don't forget to rate and subscribe to our show because it helps us a lot and makes us look great and I also need money to eat you do. You look terrible. Yeah. That picnic basket you took us on that date, there was nothing in it. Yeah, at least Henry paid for it. So that's the other one I went on. <laughs> oh, Henry. <laughs> oh, Henry. Uh, yeah, so that's it for bonus episode number two. Thank you so much for listening. And we will be back again very soon. <laughs>